welcome to uh, our very first podcast here with uh, Corporate S Company. Today we're delighted to say we're uh, joined by Joey Sheen of MyMortgages.ie. Joey has offices in Cork and Dublin and uh, is the author of this marvellous book, The Mortgage Coach, um, which is available in all good shops, bad shops, my office now, seeing as I've got five copies of them out the front. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Joey. Thanks for having me on the show, um, James. It's an honour. Uh, delighted to be here in, in, in our offices here in Middleton. So I suppose we, we kind of, the format of this is, is we just want to kind of do a really relaxed conversation. There's a lot of people, I, I kind of, I want to do this for a simple reason that I don't think people understand our business. I want to come across as kind of somebody like, hasn't a clue, no idea what I'm doing. And then hopefully somebody can take something out of it in relation to getting a mortgage or Whatever, whoever we talk to. But the big question, first question everybody wants to know is like, why would you play for Carcon? Or <laughs> Well, I've actually played for a number of clubs, uh, James. So I've played with Carcon, Crosshaven, Highfield, UCC, and Prez when I was in school. So, uh, and my daughter now plays for Dolphin. So I'm a member of Dolphin as well. So I have friends in all clubs in Cork. Or clubs and golfer. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you, obviously, the reason I ask that question is with Middleton, we would have a, a bit of a rivalry. Well, we used. Yeah, we played and we'd have come up against each other back in the day, so we had some good battles down here at Towns Park. What was it like coming to Towns Park back in the day? Because I remember back in the day when it was tough, when it was really tough to play in Middleton, and you get battered by a supporter. Yeah, when I was at UCC, the age profile was generally 19 to 22 or 3. Uh, Middleton, that time, that would have been around 98 to 2001. And Middleton at that time had a strong team. I think he got promoted yep. to Division 2. That's right. All the way up from junior, Division 4, 3 and 2. Around the time, I think Brian O'Connell was captain. Yep. Um, but there were some hardy boys uh, in that Middleton pack and they were older than us so they were bigger than us. And I think they relished when they saw the students coming down uh, to Towns Park and we always had a tough game there. And you know what? I, I played, I went down to play clubs and that. And uh, these are the games that toughen you up make you harder uh, so when you're you know as you get a bit older then you can use that uh, but definitely it was, it was a tough place to come so we might as well actually get down to some property questions so the hot topic at the moment obviously is interest rates um, you're the expert in this so I'm going to kind of start firing a few questions at you hopefully we'll get through as many as we have because we've got a lot to get through um, fix or stay at the moment which is what everybody's asking well I think uh, 70 or 80 percent of Mortgages, new mortgages have been fixed for the last number of years in Ireland. Mm. Um, so fixed is actually better value. When I started in this business around 2005, generally variable rates were lower, fixed rates were higher. So um, it, that's that's kind of flipped on its head the last four or five years. So there's better value fixing. So people generally fix for, to recently it's probably three years on average. We see more people, five years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and I suppose with rates rising, people who fixed, let's say last year, before the rates started to increase, of a buddy of mine, we, we fixed him, I think, around five for seven years with Avant 20. So he's delighted because and four or five percent had he not done that. Um, so I think fixed is definitely the way to go. And I suppose the tracker, as you alluded to there, the tracker, the ECB rate has gone from zero to 2.5, which is indirectly, I suppose, the base rate of mortgages in Ireland. And you know, if they reckon it could go to maybe maybe four as a base rate. So by the middle to the end of this year, you know, the, the cost of banks borrowing basically will be 
in the region of 4%, let's say. So then they got to make their margin on top of that. So, you know, people could be borrowing for around 5% of that region. So, which is high compared to what it was, you know, 2, 2.5% maybe last year. But in the in the long term, the scale of it, like 5% isn't a huge rate. Yeah, well, look, look again, we're going we're gonna to take this in real layman's terms. So, like, for me, I was on a fixed rate. And it was pretty low. But no, like, my, my it's gone up by... 30% my, my interest rate so it's going to go up and it's going to keep on climbing so I suppose why would anybody stay with a fixed rate is it because the minute you change it that, that's gone you can't go back with the tracker rate the tracker, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah so the tracker rates have been great value for people so when the ECB was zero the average margin is about 1% so 300,000 more which are paying roughly about 3,000 3, a year in interest which is very little obviously now the ECB has gone to 25 add your 1% margin, so that's 3.5%. And so you're paying interest of around 10 grand versus 3 grand on the same mortgage. You're not getting anything extra. It's, you know, it, it's it's eating out of your pocket. Um, people are being squeezed on that, you know. So the alternative is then, will they fix? Uh, so at least you would lock in for 4% or whatever it is for the next five years. So then any future rate increases wouldn't affect you. For the period that you're fixed. And you can do five or seven or ten. It depends on the bank. I think all banks will do up to five and then uh, some of them will do seven and ten. Two banks will do longer than that. Do any more than five though. It depends on people's circumstances. If you have ten years left in your mortgage and if you could wait for that for ten years and just have it boxed off, if you're in a job that pay might necessarily going to be increasing. Whereas if it may be a young professional, their money's tight now but it's going to increase over time. They're at less risk than somebody who just mightn't increase. So really, it's a case by case basis, and uh, you know, just just to um, you know, that, that's what we do is we we say for James and a different one for Joey. So so with a tracker rate, my tracker rate, is it if I fix that, if I go to a fixed rate, my tracker's gone. Can't get the correct. Right. So you know, you you could have fifteen years left in your tracker. Yeah. You fix for we'd say five years. So the next five years, you've got certainty. At the end of year five, you have to see what rates are available in the market. Let's just say the ECB drops back down again, which some people anticipate it will. Yeah. I don't think it'll go, personally, it's my personal view that it won't go as low as zero. It might go to 2% or 1%. Uh, but then it could be better value to be in the tracker. So it's a risk giving it up now to have safety for five years. And if you have, you know, five or 10 years left after that, there is a risk. It's just a gamble, isn't it? <laughs> is if we only had a... A magic wand that we could see into the future, you know. That's why you're here, though. You are the magic wand. <laughs> why, why should people... I'd I, I say I am, but I don't know if I ever have. <laughs> <laughs> Mortgages. So, a kind of a lot of people I talk to in relation to getting a mortgage, they would, I suppose, struggle to know where to start. So, to to go through the process of kind of, basically, what should they have in place, you know, and, and then we, we move into kind of what a single person should have and self-building, because that's self-building is a big question everybody's asking at the moment. So, Starting off, like if, if somebody was kind of just walking around now at the moment, renting a property and thought, you know what, I want to buy a house. What should they get in place, have in place, they should go in? Okay, so, so so the first thing is what I'd say to people is, the minute it pops into your head, you know, just ask family and friends, contact a broker like us, um, you know, come to us, say, look, I'm thinking about buying a house, might be next year, I don't have any savings or I've got a few thousand, you know, my parents are going to help me out, whatever your circumstances are, we can say to you, okay, well, this is what you're doing. Uh, you know, put this plan in place, and then next year when you go to apply, it's going to be seamless. 
um, and which application is seamless, but it'll be more straightforward. So, you know, there's, there's simple things. So if you want to buy a house for, we'll just say 300 grand or 90%, uh, so you need 10% deposit, which is 30 grand. Plus you need 1% stamp duty, which is 3,000. Everybody must pay that. And a couple of grand for legal fees, say that's the, what the banks would look for. So you need around 35 grand cash to be able to buy a house. So if you're a young couple trying to save, you know, we see a lot of people, family helping out, they might be given five grand, they might be given 10 grand, they might give more or less, but generally there's a little bridging a gap. So um, that'll be the first thing. So then, you know, sure your deposit will be available. Uh, we can actually apply and get approval subject to the deposit being placed. So let's say if the parents are giving 10 grand, they've got 25, so they don't have the full 35. The parents can give the money later and we get approval in the meantime. Very handy. Yeah, so then um, if you've got the parents, if you're lucky enough to have somebody that's going to help you out, um, then in terms of uh, the amount you can borrow, so since the 1st of January, it was three and a half times your salary. So now it's four times your salary. So for a first-time buyer, uh, it's four times. For a second-time buyer, it's three and a half times. Now, what you're multiplying by three and a half or four varies from bank to bank. So for example, if I'm working and I, my basic salary is 40,000, I've got a bonus each year of, we'll just say five or 10,000, just say 10,000. Then my total income is 50,000. Some banks would allow 40,000 before they multiply by three and a half or four. Some would allow 50,000 because you've got 10 grand bonus and some will somewhere in the middle. So it's important to know which bank, you know, so that's, you know, eight agencies. So if you to me today, maybe you want to maximize how much you can borrow. I might say, well, bank A and B, are worth considering maybe banks, CD, and the rest, you know, point because you're not going to get what you need. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so so which bank will determine how much you can borrow? But basically, if a couple is earning, we'll say seventy grand between them, uh, before tax income, they can borrow two hundred eighty thousand, which is four times. If we're if we're talking so about a single person, it's just is it just halving it? Is it that simple? Exactly. So a single person is much harder to buy. Yeah. So if a single person is earning, say, forty grand. Plus, plus bonus, 45 grand, let's say. They can borrow four times that, which is 180,000. If they've got a 20 grand deposit, means they can buy for 200. You know, if, if that person is in a couple with the same income, they can go up to 400. Yeah. So obviously, if they're competing with people, uh, single person against a couple, it's going to be harder. Yeah. It's tough for market for a single person. But, but then just one thing on that point, is that there are affordable housing schemes now available from the government. Um there is the revenue help to buy scheme so if you're buying in a new development yeah. or building a new house you can get up to 30 grand tax back now you must be borrowing 70% surprise to qualify um, it's a good point Joy because like a lot of people think when they think of social and affordable they think of social do you know what I mean I'm, I'm yeah. not saying any better because people tend to forget about the affordable part it's a different side that I think our mentality in the country kind of we always seem to kind of just go get the mortgage that's the only way forward. But there are other ways for people to get properties and the affordable route is something that people should look at. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the social would be if your income for your household, for the number of people in your household is below a certain level, qualify for social housing. Uh, affordable would be people that can afford a mortgage but not quite enough uh, to buy. So, um, yeah, there are there are options out there, you know. Um, so, again, we'd have a fair idea of those. So, when people contact, contact us, we'd be talking them through that and just trying to direct them, you know, the right way to help them. Some of the banks are doing um shared equity scheme, which just to just to explain that the shared equity scheme is if I want to buy a new development, house is three fifty, say, 
and let's say I'm getting 30 grand on revenue help to buy scheme that brings the price from 350 down to 320 and let's say in the example I gave a while ago with a couple earning 70 grand between them they would qualify for about 280 grand so they need 350 borrow 280 it's a shortfall of 70 30 on the help to buy so there's 40 of a gap so basically the, co- the council will take an equity share in your house for 40 grand so up to 20% of the value so based on a 350,000 house it'll be up to 70 grand so in that example it's closer to 10% so there, there, are, there are yeah like so even though these schemes are very good um, the problem is what's happening is that there's a lack of new housing available so you know for, for every 100 people that would qualify for some of these supports which which are, again just to say they are very good the houses aren't there to apply them to no but that's that's a different conversation altogether yeah. it has its bill costs and it's yeah and it's on top of it at the moment it, it's just not really viable to be building so people say but yeah we'll have you back for another day for that conversation <laughs> and self-build before we get to the self-builds actually one other thing that you mentioned before we we kind of started the podcast was which is a lot of people we get at the moment if somebody's buying a house uh, say they, they they want to get on the market or they're, they're in their house at the moment they own a house and then they find a house that they really, really like and they want to buy it, but they have to sell their house to buy that house. Now, for us, tradition is called a chain and it's it's an issue because what's behind that could be another chain and the chain that could become a link. But you were you have a, a very interesting way of dealing with that. Well, um, it depends. Each person's circumstances are different, right? But let's just say somebody's selling a house for 300 and they're buying for 400 So up to Christmas um, 22, so, so you'd have 20% deposit to buy the new property so based on a, it's a 400 grand that's 80 grand deposit which is a lot of money for anybody since the 1st of January that has been reduced to 10% which means it's 40 grand it's 80 grand no 40 grand is still a lot of money but it's it's half of what 80 grand is so if somebody can come up with 40 grand they could actually go and buy a new house potentially without selling the existing house so let's say if, if the payments the existing house they might have 200 grand of a mortgage left it's worth 300 if they were to rent it for let's say uh, 1500 euro uh, a month which uh, you know all over the place like that's 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 really excessive and if their mortgage payment is we'll just say a thousand a month when you stress test that existing house if they're going to hold on to it uh, it actually would kind of box itself off so it would have no negative impact on holding that property so what you could do is you could say rent that house the rent will cover payments. Buy the new one for 400,000 uh, once you have 10%. So if you've got savings for that, maybe again, family might be able to help out. And then, um, so if you can come up with the 40, there's no requirement to have to sell the existing one. So we see a lot of people doing that. And then maybe down the road, um, a couple of years down the road, they might decide, you know what, I, I'd want to be a landlord or, or, or I do. And uh, they, they might sell it off at that stage. And It's a very interesting way of doing it. It really is. Um, self-built Lot of people on about self-builds so people asking you know if they if they have a site if they're gifted a site by their, their parents or let's just say they're after they're, gonna, they're going about buying a site they're just they don't know where to start with a self-build what, what's kind of involved with getting a mortgage because of the unknown timelines and etc yeah so well anybody who's gifted a site is in, is in a very good position because the site the value of the site can actually count as your deposit has it savings so effectively, a couple, let's say, or a single person who had no savings, uh, and maybe they have no savings because they're paying a high rent, 
So let's say if they're running, example earlier, again, 70 grand between them. So they could borrow, say, up to 280,000. So let's say if, if you're living down the road here and gifted a site for your parents worth, we'll just say 50 grand, and the bill cost is 280 grand, and you've got no savings, because you've got the equity in the site that's been gifted to you, you can actually borrow 100% of the bill cost. Yeah. Because it'll be about less than 90% of the overall accommodation of the build cost and the site, which will be 330,000. So anybody who's gifted a site, the necessity of a savings should be, should be depending on the value of the site, should, should be minimal, if anything at all. Okay. Now they do, they would need to show repayment ability. So they had been paying rent all along. Yeah, I was about to say, the rent in any case yeah. is seen as kind of a repayment ability, isn't it? Payment. Yeah, yeah. Um, just one small point actually to mention on rent is that <clears throat> see this much more frequently than you think um, if somebody's paying rent if we just say 1500 a month they're paying it through the bank and you can see it clearly marked as rent then when we go to the bank to show repayment ability there's no questions asked it's just like that okay. whereas if they're taking out cash paying in cash then the bank says well where's the rent and then we're trying to come up with lease agreements and yeah. trying to show the ATM withdrawals of cash and this type of thing so cause huge headaches so I would say to anybody who's paying rent just ensure it's done through the bank and it's clearly narrative is rent we we met last week and just to kind of have a quick chat about what we were going to do here and we found a very very common ground very quickly which was food <laughs> we, were, we were sitting down there and we were kind of commenting and admiring all of the the dinners kind of coming out and, and, and odd up at one stage I was kind of admiring I think it was a dessert and somebody having a glass of wine and you were eyeing up a toasted ham and cheese sandwich so I, I think I think your love of food probably goes a little bit more than I'd, I'd be more savoury I think it might be more sweet maybe. Yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the toasted sandwich was ahead of a new one for me um, but we, we, we kind of got chatting about kind of being self-employed yes. like, do you do you enjoy being self-employed? Um, I do um, overall yes I do but it's challenging Um self-employed now nearly 18 years this year and as I say like being master of my own destiny um, and when things are going well it's great but then you know if there's a bit of uncertainty like at the moment busy and doing your best and you're trying to be positive and be a business if you weren't but you know you're looking out for the warning signs rates going up and cost of living and what's around the corner and here and there and everywhere and uh, so there's uncertainty so you know, that, that I find it actually work a bit harder when there's uncertainty and you kind of try to drive it on to make sure that you, you don't fail. Uh, but overall, I do enjoy it. And I'm, I'm lucky, I'm very lucky, actually. I've got a great team with me and my mortgages and um, every one of them that's there now, if I was hiring again in the morning, I'd hire each one again. Very lucky, you know. Staying on with the, the, the self-employment, are the rules kind of a little bit more stringent when it comes to being self-employed, getting a mortgage? Is it fair that they're um, more stringent? Yeah, so I suppose there's more risk. So, you know, if you're self-employed here and, you know, no guarantee how many houses you're going to sell this year. So you could have a great year, you could have an average year, you could have a poor year. And maybe it's just to do with the market or maybe depending on certain industries during COVID, income dropped and things like that. So yes, banks are more conservative. So what they do is they look at, they take your net profit over the two previous years, average those out, and then that's, that they'd use so let's say if somebody earned 100 grand profit last year but the previous year was only 50 you know there's no guarantee they're going to earn the, the 100 again because you know the, why didn't they earn it the previous year then 
So what they do is they take an average. So the average of those two years would be 75 grand. So if they're looking to borrow, it'd be four times the, the average. Yeah, and look, I, I suppose I'm not trying to clearly state agent in, in East Core. I don't have any answers for anything here, right? But if you're self-employed and you, you have a business for, we'll, we'll say, 10 years, you're paying wages, you're paying your own wage, like, taking them for two years, I feel is a bit, and again, I, I was speaking to a guy the other day, he's a builder, and he's, he couldn't get a mortgage at all. Like, he was working, like he was, he went up by himself and they wanted himself and his wife wanted to, to build a house. They went in, she started a new job, I think six months previously or something like that. She was allowed to get the mortgage. He was in business a year and a half, but he didn't have two years' accounts. But he was employing three people, and one of them had gone for a mortgage as well since working for him. But yet he was not allowed to get a mortgage, even though he was employing guys that were getting mortgages. I just, I find the whole, that whole part of it a, a little bit weird, that the people who are employing people can't get a mortgage or are kind of maybe yeah. question about the mortgages, whereas the people who are working for him for six months can get mortgages. I know what you're saying about the uncertainty, but sure and be to God, if there's uncertainty for the employer, there should be uncertainty for the employee. It makes total sense what you're saying, but obviously the banks have taken this view. So like if you're running a business here and you're making 50 grand a pr profit every year, and then if you buy me tomorrow and I'm earning 50 grand, potentially the banks would look at me as a safer bet. So what you're saying is is right. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, um, so I suppose that if things do go wrong, um, yeah, yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. But, I, but again, I, and I, as, as I said, we're not going to be changing anything here. Like, but fifty grand, I get. You know what I mean? They got to look at the. Pro I don't know why they look at the profits. Like, look at the the longevity of the company and how long they've been paying wages yeah. and how many staff to be paying. I get all that, and like you mean, how long they're in business is important. But like looking at their profit when they're paying themselves and five staff, yeah, and then basing on profit, which I think that's. Completely wrong. Yeah, it's a fair point, James. Um, Come on, we'll go off to the IB. Come on, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll storm them. Yeah. Give them a lesson. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a fair point. So credit checks. Somebody asked about credit checks. Um, are they, how, how do you do credit checks? Are credit yeah, so, so basically there's a central credit register in Ireland. So any loan you have is put up there. If you meet your payments every every month is basically there's a tick goes along so when you apply for any loan with a bank they can check this register if it's all ticks you're up to date grand if there's any you know if look number one that means you missed one payment two would be two and so on so basically you don't want to have any um, missed payments so if you never had a loan there'd be no record of you up there which means that you're you're in America it's different you have to build up a credit rating right so if, you, if you've never had credit it's actually you can't build Better to have had credit and been up to date on it rather than never never having credit. You get a higher score. Right. Whereas in Ireland, basically, is once you don't have a blemish, you're grand. Right. So once you never had a loan, never had a mispayment. Keep the money under the mattress. <laughs> you don't go anywhere near anyone. You're fine. Um, is there a strikeout rate? Is there like you know when you say yeah, one well, two? Is there like certain amounts you can get before you're like yeah? Well, when when if it, so it looks at five years, the previous five years. So some banks, if you have even one mispayment in the five years, you're gone. Because they're saying, well, if you can't keep up to date on a car loan or a personal loan you know, a couple of years ago, how are you going to keep up to date on a mortgage? So it's just the profile of, of person that, that they would have concerns about. Um, now, some banks, if there was something genuine, maybe you were closing one loan and opening another and there was transferring your current account like the banks or 
it's a closed down, people are moving behind us. <clears throat> if there was a genuine explanation, you could show it and that you brought it up to date and let's say you were saving elsewhere and it all made sense, then banks have discretion to, they would lend being realistic. But at all costs, try and avoid it because getting into that explanation of I missed a payment because it's just a nightmare. Yeah. So just, just make sure if you have any loans, and make sure they're up to date. Credit cards are another one that we've seen people where they've moved house and maybe they were paying the, the, the payment manually each month. Mm. So they get the letter in the post or, or by email. Uh, well, with the email now, it wouldn't happen, but they get the letter in the post. They don't make the payment because they didn't get the letter because they moved house and then they missed the minimum payment. So I would say anybody with a credit card, you can set up the minimum payment, I think it's 5% a month. So it's, be 50 euros a month whatever it is just make sure that is always set up at a minimum so that if you do, don't get the communication for some reason it's not an issue yeah I've never had a never never a never never we call them down here to credit cards yeah never had one yeah I, I've had one um, I think they're, they're useful and I think back in the day a lot of people had them when the internet came in first and you were buying things online there was a security that if your card got hacked there was insurance with the credit cards Um. But yeah, lots lots of people have credit cards. Um, I don't uh, don't buy stuff. I do know, but I suppose yeah, back in the day, I've never bought anything in my life online. I suppose that they're they're expenses are coming to Christmas time or holiday. You might, yeah. you might run up a few, a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand. But I'd be saying to try and keep it at a minimal. And if you have a big outstanding balance, you can be paying up to fifty percent interest. So if you've got five grand outstanding credit card for the full year, you're paying about a thousand a year in interest. Yeah. Whereas if you can keep that down to zero, you're paying no interest. So, you know, just if you are, if you do have one, there's no problem. We just try and keep it balanced relatively low. Is it true or is it a wise tale about the, the time the couple went for the mortgage? Um, well, there's the Paddy Power account anyway that you, you shouldn't have the Paddy Power account. Is that right? <clears throat> well, if somebody wants to put a race on Cheltenham or whatever on a horse or a match, there's no problem with that. But just, it doesn't look good to the, to the banks. So they look at it as a kind of a, bad like if somebody developed a gambling addiction for example then mortgage went secondary to that so they could default so there's obviously theory behind why the banks have problems with people gambling so if we see a couple of bets here for a five or a tenner generally there's no problem but if you see a lot of them should you close down the the paddy power account um, I would say if you're going for a mortgage yeah just just if you put it on a bit call it the bookies and put on tenner there rather than actually doing it bank account okay getting back to the the story about the the couple that went for the mortgage and they saw that they had gone for um, to Waterstones and they said because they were trying for a child extra strain on the financials and that they weren't going to give them a mortgage is that something that they would actually look at that if you were um, trying well we actually had a scenario like that where um, there was a couple that they weren't saving and you know, so so like this, the stuff so the bank said, well, we can't prove saving. But actually, they're, they're getting fertility treatment and um, they were show receipts. So let's say there was six grand figures in the previous six months. So we said, well, had they not incurred this, I suppose, exceptional expense, they'd have six grand in savings, which over six months would be a thousand a month. So we feel it's fair to allow the thousand a month as savings as if it were there. Very good. And a fairness to the bank, they did. Yeah. So, yeah, the, like it, there's ways around everything. Out of these things, um, if you change your car, a new car, uh, maybe did some work in the house, 
and you know you spent your savings on that or like for planning permission if you've got a site so your your savings can be depleted for any number of reasons yeah so what I'd say is just like call it out to us at the start you know we'd say okay well look we put in the proposal saying you know they, they five grand for this show receipts and then generally you get around it okay um before we move on from the mortgages just to, to, like we talk about kind of your services interesting enough explain how you're how you're paid yeah so uh at, we do have a 500 euro fee but once somebody uh, is committing to solely apply through us and they're taking um out the, the, the insurances and things with us then we waive the fee so effectively we don't want the fee what we're looking for is and commitment from the client because we're doing all the work up front yeah. and you know we could apply to to a bank and possibly a second bank and maybe get approved and extended so there's a lot of work and this could go on on average for maybe 15 months 18 months by the time somebody contacts us, contacts us to, and they find a house they find a new house by the time the house is ready and then they draw down we get paid so the bank pays us at that point Yeah. so we have a fee but we, we rarely charge it and it's was it there just some people will ask what is this fee and then we say well look if you're committing to us basically the fee is waived it's fantastic there's no cost for a service then it's fantastic value to have that kind of expertise and that advice the whole process and then yeah. not have to pay anything basically but yeah so, the, bank so the, the bank pays it and um, I suppose for the, for the banks it's a kind of a way of outsourcing really and look we, we guide people along the way so yes we're doing the mortgage but if somebody comes into you here and you know they're looking to bid on a property Maybe the approval isn't through yet. So you, you want to see an approval because the vendor, you know, doesn't want you to deal with somebody who's not going to get a mortgage. So, you know, we'd often contact auctioneers or solicitors on behalf of clients with their agreement and say, look, you know, this is their situation. We've submitted the application. It's going to be successful. It's going to take another week or two. Yeah. And generally speaking, yeah, accept us that. You know. And like we, uh, yeah, so, so, so we trust you. We guide the people along the way and, you know, we do a lot of... Uh, in Dublin and Cork and we deal with a lot of people not from Ireland originally and they might know areas that well so they might say look you know at this house what do you think and you know let's say if there was a new road going in next to them or there might be something that would have a negative impact on the value uh, you know be able to steer people in those type of things as well you're, you're, you're fantastic for gelling into the next question what's that called you when you just transition I saw the sheet earlier did you <laughs> segue, segue. You're fantastic at segueing into the next question for Vlegia. Expats. Yeah, people coming yeah. back. Yeah. So we would get an awful lot of people kind of coming back from uh, Dubai is a huge thing. I don't know why in East Cork, but everybody just went to Dubai. I guess they went over to teach, so just a clever bunch in, in East Cork. But Dubai is, is quite important. Um, and then the usuals, Australia, America coming back. What do they need coming from abroad? Yeah, so, so people abroad... And like that now, Dubai, we lot Dubai, Singapore, London, three main ones mm. in the States and Australia and other places too. Um, but so if they're working in Dubai, they can either continue to work there and buy a holiday home here. So it's based on their wages over there, continuing and paying whatever rent they're paying there, continuing, which is obviously an outgoing. So let's say if they're buying a house here, then for 300,000, it'll be as a holiday home. And they can borrow seventy percent of that three hundred, which would be about two hundred and ten thousand. Okay. So, um, and there'd be home loan rates, haven mortgages. So the rates would be fairly competitive. Not done as a buy to let, which would be a higher rate. So, um, that's one way they can do it. So, whether they're still abroad, buy the house here as a holiday home, thirty percent deposit, right. which 
a lot of them will have because they're probably going to wait to make maybe tax-free money. Um, or if they're thinking about coming back, it's once they come back, then we can apply we up to 90% then at that point uh, as, as an owner-occupier here. Wasn't it a way to, you'd have to be kind of working here for 12 months before you got a... So again, that, that varies bank to bank. So some banks would want you 12 months, some would want you six, but some, if there's no probation, once you book one pay sip, they could look at it. Is it because to come from Dubai? They're like, out of grand, they got loads of money. <laughs> Just give them the mortgage. Yeah, well, um, well, generally speaking, these people would be stronger in terms of a deposit and things like that. But it depends on your profession too. So let's say somebody's an accountant uh, coming back and so firm here and they're earning good money. They've got a track record of earning that level of income. Yeah. They're lower risk. So the bank, if somebody was on a lower wager, maybe you mentioned teachers, teachers, there'd be a 12-month probation here, even if you're employed with the department. So they might find it a little bit more difficult. Okay. Um, and then it depends if there's a couple, one's a teacher, one is an accountant, you know, one is stronger. So it's a case-by-case basis, but generally, you know, these people coming back. This is me getting back to the, the self-employed kind of problem, though, again. Like, who who decides that teachers that need 12 months and accountants are grand after two months? Like, who, who does, who's that down and said, do you know what? Teachers are finicky. <laughs> not me. <laughs> not me anymore. Like, well, why is it 12 months for teachers and, like, three, four months for accountants? When you could potentially get a teacher earlier, but it's, as I say, it's a case-by-case. Case. But I suppose certain, if the level of income is higher, number one, um, if the, if it's a deemed a profession that the kind of a gold-plated profession let's say like a, a medic maybe a solicitor an accountant maybe even an auctioneer an engineer so certain professions um, and the IT sector now um, depending what, what your qualification yeah. is fairly uh, fairly thanks well, that's really good information in relation to the to the expats because we do get an awful lot of people um broad kind of looking to come back you know of three or four of them even off the top of my head that are thinking of coming back in the next year and they always kind of wonder you know do they have to hang over 12 months before they kind of get a more so it's it's literally but invariably is yeah exactly but invariably what happens with us is that people contact us they're from Ireland they've probably had a couple of kids the kids are kind of school going age they want to make a plan to come back with the best will in the world they're trying to buy a property from halfway around the world yeah they can't view the property. Uh, they've got family going to look at it and then there's bidding and generally what happens is that some of them would buy mm-hmm. they're still abroad but by the time we actually deal with them they're probably back. They're back, yeah. With a new job a couple of years later yeah. and um, True. probably do the business with them then you know, but we'd have been there all along the way with them but I saw the load houses people during COVID online. Yeah. I thought it was something I'd, I'd never do. Like you know like you said it's all well and good thinking about buying a house when you're abroad, but then you kind of have to get a feel for it. You have to kind of get into the house. But during COVID, they were just, yeah, going for it. Coming home, but I suppose kind of changed everybody's perspective, didn't it? Kind of being away from family and not having the support around them. They were just like, just get me home. Um, equity. Relation to equity. So if somebody kind of had a house, um, and let's just say it was, you know, they bought it 2012, good time to buy. <clears throat> They're now up 100 grand. That equity, if if they kind of wanted to maybe, was that to buy another house or to trade up, um, or even extend? If they have a house that they want to extend and there's a bit of equity, how do they go about using the equity on the on property? Yeah, so you can you could do an equity release on your property, so you could release depending on the bank up to forty, up to seventy, seventy five grand in some banks. So let's say you want to put on um, a conservatory and modernised inside, 
it's just 70 grand some banks will allow that without having to get engineers and all that involved architects and incur the cost of that so um, like what we normally look at the rate we might switch to another lender and release equity in the process or potentially could stay with the same lender but the bottom line is that up to kind of that level there's no problem if you want to go over 75 grand so let's say or 100, 150, 200,000 whatever amount once you've the equity in your property so your income supports it we can absolutely do that so we'll get a costings it'll be similar to a self-build so we'd say look they owe 200 borrow 200 to double extension to the side and wrap around the back whatever it is and uh, we get the forms filled in by the engineer submit to the bank and absolutely this well again I just on that as well they are treated the same as a first time buyer in terms of the four times income so once you're in your first house and you're still there and you're doing works or whatever the benefit of that first house being deemed a first time buyer and actually one other thing on that is that people who are separated or divorced um they're treated also like a first-time buyer in terms of being able to borrow four times just to try and give them a fresh start. All right. Huh. Just once they're divorced, the minute they're divorced, they're, they, they're legally is. separated or divorced, they're deemed a first-time buyer. So, you know, you might have a couple that were married, they split up, maybe stays in the house and the other one's looking to buy. So obviously that's difficult because one household is trying to afford yeah. two houses. So just to give them an extra bit of incentive to the government redefined uh, what a first-time buyer is and it includes those separate and divorced people. Jeez, Joe, you're a integral part of this whole system, aren't you? Always brokers. I, I've, if, well, I'm, look at you, I'm looking at you in a new light here. And if it's like that one, that one over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I just didn't think, I don't take this the wrong way, but I yeah. didn't think that there was that much strings to the bow like that you could do all of that. I was, look, if you were, And the bank pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of everything once you get into the detail of everything, you know, that there's some crannies and everything. I suppose what, what I've seen, the biggest mistake I've seen people with uh, mortgages is that they have a current account with a bank since they were in primary school and they go into that bank to get a mortgage and that's the only bank they go to. If you have, let's say, six lenders in the market, there's a one in six chance that that lender is the most competitive. And, you know, bank A will drop rates and C will drop rates and what happens invariably is that today one bank is more competitive in a few months time it might be a different bank and it swings around like that and then that's drop the rate so it moves around so we, we'll assess all of the banks once and look at your individual circumstances and you know like you asked about being self-employed earlier and that's one of the rewar- rewarding things of our job is that somebody does get the keys of their house eventually and let's say it was a separate person they may be waiting for the for the divorce to come through and you could be dealing with them through that it could be 12 months and then you get them approved and then they find a house so we're often dealing with people for 2-3 years and when they get there eventually there's a great satisfaction in that you know and you're kind of helping them and you know they appreciate it and you know it's not always easy sometimes you know people's circumstances change the bank you're dealing with could be slow people don't they might think it's us there can be a frustration but Ultimately, when you get there, most people are very appreciative and, you know, and segueing again. See that? Segueing again for me there. Banks. Who are the best banks to deal with? Um, as I say, I'm not kicking the touch, not evading your question. He's a 100% <laughs> kicking the touch. Like, <laughs> I didn't put that one on the sheet so you couldn't see it. Yeah. So you couldn't uh, um, tee it up. Again, like, I, I won't name them to be fair, but like, we had certain banks we're dealing with last year that... A straight switching, so switching from bank A to bank B, we had experiences that it took like 10 months, which is crazy. It should be 
you know, even slow times two, three, four months would be a lot. Um, but then that bank I'm thinking of now, they're much quicker right now at the moment. So if a bank has competitive rates, they're going to get more business, which is going to slow them down. So in terms of service, oh, hang on, can we give out names? Jay, can we give out names? Am I going to get sued on my first ever podcast? I'm not sure the best. And then anyway, can I, I won't name them anyway. <laughs> but no, but look, I'd love to name them. You, you know, it, it's easy. And look, when, when if banks are struggling, all of us in business have good times and bad times. Yes. And if they're maybe understaffed or if, you know, banks were leaving the market, Ulster and KBC, yeah. every other bank got inundated with opening yeah. current accounts and switching mortgages and car loans and everything. So, you know, but overall, look, everyone's doing their best and, you know, none of them have kind of geared up resource and nothing. We've kind of figured out through this whole process that, that the banks are kind of responsible for the paying here. So you're definitely not going to name any good or bad. That's well, you don't even know about anything. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I think that certain, like even when, when it comes to us with mortgages, sometimes there's there's certain banks and you know, they're delayed and they're asking the same questions over and over and they want to, the same information kind of submitted that they got kind of two months beforehand because probably a staff member's changed or something. But then the ones that are really good this month will be slow next month. So I think it is. And a lot of it too is the regulation from the central bank and I suppose there was very little regulation up to the Banking crash in 2008, uh, where the banks all had to be bailed out effectively and steep falls and people borrowing. We're talking three and a half, four times income now. I saw cases where there was five and six times income back in the day and up to 100% mortgages. 110? 110. Yeah. All, all the car outside the front and yeah. the furniture paid for. W- which were, um, that they were allowed, but that there was nothing wrong with that on the central bank size. So, in fairness, the central bank did uh, tighten the reins after that. And maybe a little bit too tight, but it's coming from a good place. And so the lending now is much more prudent and the regulation has got the banks tied up in knots a little bit. So now the only benefit of all that is that um, if there is a bit of a tightening in the economy due to the increased, you know, lending costs or whatever, people's mortgages are very manageable. You know, they'll have to cut back on what they're spending, but there'll be no mass default, you know, so so it, it has yeah. worked in like ways. Because I, I was going to kind of have it chat about that in relation are we are we getting back up to the 100% are we getting close but now that we just kind of increase it to 90% and they're kind of four times the wages are we slowly kind of sneaking back to where we were but I agree with you I think it's it's fairly well handled at the moment and uh, I think 90% is prudent um, I'd even say 92% or, or thereabouts would be okay uh, because when people are paying a high rent it is very difficult to build up the deposit uh, so even when it goes to 300,000 2% difference is 6 grand which when you're say, trying to save, let's say 30 grand, 30 grand and 36 grand could be an extra six month savings. Yeah. So um, I think the 90% um, is fine at the three and a half, four times. I actually think you could argue that it could be higher depending on your age and things like that. Mm-hmm. So let's say if somebody is 60, they can borrow to age 70 so they've got a 10 year term to repay their mortgage. Mm-hmm. They potentially could borrow four times their income. But somebody who's 30 pay their mortgage over 35 years can also borrow four times but the person at 30 years of age has a lot longer to pay it over than yeah. the person at 60 so you'd argue that their payments you know they, they should be potentially able to pay a little bit more yeah mm-hmm. so that there's mm-hmm. um, we're kind of into the questions from the father so what we're trying to do in this podcast is before we we do our 
our podcast, we, we send out uh, our guests on our social media. So we've got a, a good following on, on Instagram and, and LinkedIn and next, the, all the other uh, platforms that we're on. So we, we kind of send out who we, we've on and then we say, look, if you have any questions, send them in. So we've got a couple of questions in and the first one is from JP. He says, I had a loan in Australia and I didn't pay it back. Man, JP. Uh, I'm looking to get a more original, will this be known? Um, what I'd say if, like, we'd often see actually people that were abroad like that, they might leave and sometimes it might have been mistaken in the, in the start and then they kind of say, what are paying extra? I'm back in Ireland now, they're going to see, watch me. Yeah. I would say that if it was a couple of hundred euro or, you know, less than a thousand, very much advocating regardless, just pay it and be done with it and close the account because you never know what future may hold. You might go traveling somewhere like that again in the future. Um, if it's a, a thousands, um, then you know it can come up. Um, so if he's back here and if he's said that he's living in Australia previously and they look for credit checks from there, which the banks do, then it would cause him a problem because if they're lending 200, 200 300,000 to somebody, saying, well, he defaulted on a few thousand out in Australia, why won't he do the same to us? Mm-hmm. So I would say, pay it, JB. Pay it. And I would say to people, and we've seen this actually also, utility bills, people abroad. That's also put on the central credit register abroad. Mm. All right. Sarah, I have a mortgage of 10 years, met my new partner, and they want to go on the mortgage. Uh, Is there benefits or downsides to this? Um, I think so. She's at the mortgage on her own. So, okay. So, if they're thinking about going together in a house, they've obviously think each other long term. So, if they're on the house jointly, they could own it in joint tenancy, which is a legal term, which means that um, if, God forbid, one of them dies at some point, it would auto- automatically transfer to the other without any going through an estate or a probate. So that would be an advantage to it. The disadvantage to it would be that, depending on what rate she's paying now, they can borrow money for now because effectively it's a new application. And also they'll have uh, legal fees as well to do it now, so. I don't know if there's a bit more going on. This question here, Dojo, I have a mortgage of 10 years. My new, my new partner, they want to go on the mortgage. Well, I suppose if they're in love, I don't know. Um, so there, there could be, she'd need to get legal advice and tax advice there as well, yeah. John K, is it better to pay off mortgage quickly? Um, should I be paying more to this as opposed to my pension? So he's kind of saying, Zoom, if... Depending on your age, isn't it? You'd have to kind of know what well, the age is like. The pension, I was only talking to somebody in the car on the way down here and um, let's say if you're putting 5% of your salary into your pension or is matching at a 5%, basically doubling up the money that's going to your pension. So if you're, if that person, let's say, was not putting in the 5% in order to overpay their mortgage, I would say don't overpay the mortgage and avail of the... the generous pension offering right okay um, whereas if if they were just doing a personal pension themselves and they weren't they'd be getting tax relief on it but if their employer matching it quite as lucrative so again kind of case by case basis or the, the other one would be that if they have any debt with higher interest rates so a car loan credit cards anything like that that might be paying 7 or 8% interest versus a more which might be 3 pay the higher interest rate first okay um, last one is Louise looking to add an extension bill costs are expensive so I have to ask for a top up best way of going about this that didn't me yeah well look contact us and uh, uh, we'll tell you what to do but 
Um, segwaying again. Segwaying it to finish up the show. <laughs> just contact Joey. Um, so, depending on which branch she's with, and then let's say if she's got a tracker rate or what rate she's on, mm. it makes sense to stick with who she's with for the equity release. But we could potentially look at a new lender for the whole mortgage, the existing one, release in the process as well. Joey's a pro. And me. He just nailed it. Start, finish. Yeah. Better call it, Joey. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Joey. Thanks a million. Yeah, thanks a million, James. My pleasure. <laughs>